Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you who normally attend this service and those of you who are attending today because of Daylight Savings. Like, I'm normally an 8 a.m.er, but man, this felt more on my speed today. Uh, I want to say hello to those of you joining us on our online campus and uh, in our parent viewing rooms. If you are, uh, have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service, that's a great option. And anybody watching in our cafe this morning, glad to have you with us. Uh, wanna, before we jump into the talk, make you aware that we are only a few weeks away from Easter. Isn't that crazy? And uh, it's, it's wild to think that's just a few weeks away. Uh, this year, uh, just like last year, we're doing five Easter services across Easter weekend. So we've got two on Saturday evening, April, uh, April 8th. That's going to be at 4.30 and 6. And then three on Sunday morning at our regular times, 8, 9, 30, 11. So five different service options to invite someone to. And here's what's amazing. I don't know what it is about Easter and uh, maybe it's just American culture, but People will say yes to an invitation at Easter when they might not say yes to an invitation to go to church any other time of the year. And I don't know what it is, but at Easter, they're just like, all right, maybe I'll come with you and find out what your cult's all about. So um, if you want to invite somebody on Easter, I would suggest you do that. And uh, I would encourage you to invite somebody on Easter because uh, oftentimes people's hearts are open to an invitation at that time. But secondly, uh, we do everything we can on our end to make it very accessible for your friends, even if they've never been to church before or if they have questions about church or they're not sure where they stand. And we want to do everything we can to present a very clear and compelling uh, presentation of who Jesus is and how much he loves them. And so I really want your friends, your neighbors, uh, your coworkers to show up on Easter and and hear that message. And so I'd encourage you to invite someone uh, across one of those services. And as we're thinking about Easter, that's why we're doing this series called Famous Last Words. Uh, As we're kind of doing this leading up to Easter, these are all the things that Jesus said to his disciples pretty much at what we've come to know as the Last Supper. It was the last time Jesus had supper with his uh, disciples on the night that he was arrested. And these are the things that he, he knew he had limited time with them. And these are the things he really wanted them to know. And so we've been walking through that together as we lead up to this Easter. And um, the first thing we said is Jesus took his robe and he took, took off his outer robe. He took a towel and he washed the feet of his disciples. He didn't delegate the foot washing, but he said, no, I'm doing this as an example so that any environment that you're in, I don't want you to elevate yourself. I want you instead to come under and serve other people. This is an example for you to follow. And then the second week, uh, we looked at the other thing that Jesus said was, as I have loved you, you're to love others. This is a new command, he said. And it wasn't new in terms of the content. It was new in terms of the context. That leading up to that point, the way people viewed God had always been vertical only. And as long as me and God are good, it doesn't matter horizontally how I treat others. And Jesus changed that. He said, no, the way that you show your love for God is by how well you love others. That matters. And as I have loved you, you're to love one another. Not, not as they have loved you or as you'd like them to love you. They don't even factor into it. It's as I have loved you. Whatever love, whatever mercy, whatever grace you've received from me, you are to take all of that and you are to extend that to the people that you come into contact with. And that's how you know that you're loving God well is when you take the love God's given you and you share it with others. And then last week, we looked at this idea that good people go to heaven, which makes sense on the surface. But if you dig into that a little bit, you start to understand that that system is really an unfair system because there isn't a clear standard of what is good or when you cross the finish line or how good is good enough to get in or when you tip the scales. Instead, what Jesus said to his disciples was, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. The way to get to God is through me. 
And we, we recognize that if we're trying to keep some kind of list and tip the scales, that we could never be good enough. We recognize we need someone to be a savior. And so rather than giving us a list, God gave us himself when Jesus came into the world. And Jesus said, you want to get to God? I'm the way to God. And so that's what we've been looking at over these last few weeks. And now today, we're going to explore something that Jesus said to his disciples as he introduces them not to a new command, but he introduces them to a new person. And so uh, this is really amazing, these verses that we're going to read next. And we're kind of following this discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples. So in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So this is an incredible promise that Jesus makes because he has just finished telling his disciples. We looked at this last week where he said, I'm going away. I'm going somewhere. You can't go with me now, but later you'll join me. And he wants all of his followers, including you and I, to have this assurance that Jesus is still with us. He wants us to know just because he is no longer with them in person, it doesn't mean that he is no longer with them. He is, has uh, this advocate, another person that's going to be a part of their lives. And so Jesus tells his disciples, even though he's leaving, another advocate is coming. And while Jesus has been with them, the Holy Spirit is actually going to be in them. And this is an incredibly powerful promise, and it's also very widely misunderstood. And so today we're going to walk through who is the Holy Spirit and how does the Holy Spirit work and how can I partner with what God's Spirit is doing in my life and in the world. And so first of all, let's answer this question. Who is the Holy Spirit? This other advocate that Jesus is talking about. Well, the Holy Spirit is God. And this can be confusing. This is important for us to understand because there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding around the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church today. In fact, a recent poll by George Barna, who is a widely, uh, kind of a, a widely known researcher, does a lot of sort of church research. And he came to this conclusion after doing a lot of surveys and research on asking people what their thoughts were on the Holy Spirit. And he says this, nearly 60% of Americans who attend a Christian church say there is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. They say the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence or purity. That when you talk about the Holy Spirit, it's like this force that it's like this imperceptible kind of force that, um, that comes from God. And I think many of us are confused about the Holy Spirit because there are many different references to him in the scriptures. Uh, he's referred to as the ghost. Sometimes in certain church circles, he's called the Holy Ghost or the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the wind, the breath of God. There's all of these different things that are used to refer to God, but with, uh, to, to God's Spirit. But with all of those different references, don't be confused. There is one Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force in the universe like in Star Wars. Now, my son and I were watching The Mandalorian yesterday, and Baby Yoda came out of a cave and was just like... And like monsters like, you know, flew out of the, out of the air. Uh, it's not a force that you can like harness its power and, and use it for good. In, in the Star Wars universe, there is something called the force and you can harness it, but only with special training. And usually you have to be born with it and it's hereditary or uh, you've been chosen by the force. And you can also access the dark side of the force and to do evil things, right? But the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force that you can just harness. The Holy Spirit is a part of God. It's God himself. Now, there's a word that's used. It's not in the scriptures, by the way. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible. 
It's a word that we've come to use as a way to describe the three parts of who God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the reason we use that word is because it describes that God is three beings. And if you find this to be somewhat confusing, join the club. Like, I there's no good answer for this, right? But because something is mysterious doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true. And so when you look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there's these three beings that make up who God is. And you see this throughout the scriptures. And so when you look in the creation story, here's what we discover. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So you have God, and he is in the creation process. And then John, one of Jesus' followers, who records a lot of the, uh, the Last Supper for us and all the things Jesus is saying, he describes for us, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Through Jesus, God is creating. And then God's Spirit is hovering over the surface of the water. And in the creation story, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit together. The same thing happens at Jesus' baptism. Look at this. It says, after his baptism, Matthew records this for us, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting on, settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And once again, at Jesus' baptism, at creation, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all distinct parts of who God is, all distinct beings that make up who God is. And this is, really, this is really important on a deep level. When you think about this, God is a God of community. So God is not a lonely being. When, when, when God creates us and wires us to live in community with one another, it's because God himself is community. God exists with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in this constant, life-giving, loving relationship. When, when, when John writes later on in life, God is love, you, it's, it's virtually impossible to have love without another because love isn't just an emotion or something that I feel. It's an act towards someone else. And God, to be love, has to have a, an object, a, a, a target to, to show love to, to an actionable way to give love to someone else. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If, if God was just a lonely single being, we wouldn't be wired for love and for community. It's, it's part of the DNA of who we are as people because it's who God is. He exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together, continual life-giving, loving relationship. And so the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of God. It's present throughout the scripture story. In fact, you could say this, that the Holy Spirit is active throughout history. When you look at all of the different ways that the Holy Spirit shows up, and at one point in the, in the history of the nation of Israel, God actually speaks through a prophet named Haggai. And here's what he writes. Haggai writes this as a, as a part of a, a message from God. He says, and now, we, and now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. In fact, if you look through what we call the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew Scriptures and the history of the nation of Israel, what you find is that God's Holy Spirit is constantly active and he empowers people, he comes upon people, and he gives them power to, in a specific moment in time for a specific purpose. 
And you read through these stories and you see over and over and over again, God's spirit comes on specific people in a specific time to accomplish a specific task. If you read the story of the life of Joseph, Joseph is a guy who at uh, around 17 years old, he gets literally sold by his brothers into slavery. And some of you are like, I've thought about doing that with my brother a few times. But these guys actually did it. And so he, he, he's carried off. And he's a, he's a slave and eventually finds his way into the household of a guy named Potiphar who works at Pharaoh's, uh, works for Pharaoh. He's one of Pharaoh's officials. And eventually makes his way to the top of uh, Potiphar's house. He's the lead servant there. And then he's falsely accused. He ends up thrown in prison. His life is just, man, one incredible roller coaster. The highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And then sitting in prison, Pharaoh has a dream, and in a specific moment in time for a specific purpose, God's Spirit comes upon Joseph, and he is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. So God's Spirit is active. It's working. Another time, you have a guy named Samson. Samson is one of the judges, and as you read through the history of Israel, there were these certain leaders that would lead the nation of Israel during certain uh, points in time, and Samson was one of these guys. And it says that God's Spirit gave him incredible strength. He had this unbelievable strength that was supernatural. And he did a lot of things throughout his life that were, uh, he didn't follow God's way. He made some really bad decisions. He sinned. But even then, God's spirit came on him in certain times, in a specific period of time for a specific season to do specific things for the nation of Israel. King David is another guy. As you read through the history of the story of Israel, you discover that uh, King David was a guy who uh, was empowered by God's spirit to do certain things during certain times. At a certain point when he was a shepherd, he fought a lion, he fought a bear with his bare hands because God's spirit enabled him to do that. And that was preparation for a time when he would fight a giant named Goliath. And even now to this day, this is so interwoven with a part of our sort of American culture that even in sporting events today, when someone is considered a big underdog, we often refer to them as, oh, it's a, it's a David and Goliath kind of situation. We recognize David was this huge underdog fighting against this giant that no one could defeat. And yet God's Holy Spirit empowered him to defeat the giant Goliath. And then throughout his life, David committed some horrible sins. And after doing that, he, he, he recognized and he, he prayed this prayer. We can read the prayer of David after he committed some sins. He says, create in me a pure heart, God, and make my spirit right again. Do not send me away from you or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Even David recognized the Holy Spirit is something to be treasured. He recognized that the Holy Spirit is his source of strength, his source of wisdom, and, and the one who is the source behind his king, his kingship. And so from these examples and others, we know that throughout the Old Testament or this, the Old Covenant or the Hebrew Scriptures and the history of the nation of Israel, that God's Spirit was active and moving in individuals and God used them to accomplish His purposes in the world. Now, you turn the page into the New Testament. The New Testament, or the word for that would be the New Covenant, and this is what Jesus was talking about even at this Last Supper when he says he passes out the bread and he passes the cup to his disciples. And he said, this represents my blood and it's a new covenant between God and man. That means the New Testament or the new covenant, this new agreement, that's where we live now. And the Holy Spirit that was present and active in the prophets, that was uh, present and active in certain kings and came on certain people for certain purposes in the Old Testament is no longer simply present for specific people for specific tasks. 
Jesus brings into reality a new era and a new covenant and a new promise from God that is for all people. That's for you and me today. And we live in this era where the Holy Spirit is available to everyone. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in every single one of us when we say yes to following Jesus. And so this is how the Holy Spirit works. He he helps us, empowers us to live the way that God has created us to live. Say, okay, well, how does that work exactly? There's a little bit of mystery to it, but there's some guidance in the scriptures. And so first of all, you need to know this. Here's how the Holy Spirit works. Number one, the Holy Spirit works on us. The Holy Spirit works on us. Jesus uh, tells us that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin and to convince us that we need a Savior. Now, you're like, "That's, that's not really what I came here to hear this morning. But here's the reality. When you get this sense within your own heart, within your own uh, spirit, and you recognize, like, I I did something that I knew I shouldn't have done, or I know there's something I should have done and I didn't do it. That's God's spirit convicting you and helping you and drawing you. In other words, the way you're doing things isn't working. In fact, the decisions sometimes that you're making are hurting you or hurting the people that you love. And if you want to know how life works, God says, look at how I created the world to work and align your life with the way that I created life to work. And the way that you become aware of that is that the Holy Spirit is trying to constantly open our eyes to see Jesus in his ways, constantly opening our ears to hear Jesus in his ways. In fact, uh, uh, Jesus would later say this along the same conversation, John 16, he's with his disciples still at the Last Supper. He would say, in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And Jesus is saying, I I want you to experience this. And then he says this, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. He's going to convict the world of its sin, of righteousness and judgment. What does that mean? This can be a little confusing, but Jesus explains it. He, He actually says, we have incorrect thinking about all three of these things, about our own sin, about God's righteousness, and about judgment. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to point us to truth and he's going to help us understand all of these things. That our sin is when we don't put our trust in Jesus. That God's righteousness is that Jesus has come and the coming judgment means that the ruler of this world has already been judged. And so we don't need to fear. We don't have to live in worry about where we stand with God. And God's Spirit is going to come and work on us and help guide us towards the truth of those things. Sometimes that means pointing out areas where we fall short, helping us understand that we need Jesus. Have you ever had that one friend who everybody knows is sick, but they just won't admit it? Just like, dude, I'm fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's all good. And you're like, bro, you have pink eye. (laughs) We can all see it, man. It's like crusty. (laughs) And we tend to behave that way when it comes to our own sin. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to convince us that we need Jesus. In fact, before you started following Jesus, there was something in you drawing you to Jesus. Through, through friendships, relationships, events in your life, different things that took place, somewhere along the way, it, there was this path that was leading you to Jesus. And a great way to think about that is the way that we think about a magnet. And when you think about a magnet, especially when I was a kid and I was, you know, when you're first kid and you first discover magnets, it's kind of like, this is so wild. How is this happening? There's something mysterious to it. And the truth is, you still can't explain it. You just know how it works. Intellectually, we can go, oh yeah, it's like, what? What's magnetic force? I don't know. Like, but why? There's still mystery to it. But look at that. It's mesmerizing. 
And in the same way that there is magnetic pull that pulls one thing towards the other, God's Spirit draws you. God's Spirit is, is moving you through a series of events and relationships and the different things that take place in your life, experiences. God's Spirit is constantly drawing you to Jesus, pulling you to Jesus. And sometimes we feel that draw at a young age. Sometimes he uses our parents to influence us. And maybe you grew up in a setting where your parents were influencing you and, and moving you towards Jesus and teaching you about Jesus and the ways of Jesus. Uh, for some of us, it's the difficulties that we go through, the life experiences. And as we go through difficulties, we start to recognize, you know, I, I'm, I've lived my life in a certain way that's led me down some paths that I didn't want to go. And so God, help me to change my ways. And that's God's spirit drawing you toward himself. For some of you, it's a, there's nothing, your life's been great, but there's a restlessness of like, you know, is this it? There's got to be more to life than this. It can't just be this. And you're searching. That's God's spirit drawing you to Jesus. I, I know people who are drawn to Jesus after experiencing loss of some kind, and, and they wonder about the hope of eternity, and it it's moves them to discover more about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one drawing us to the person of Jesus. That is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to work on us. But then the Holy Spirit works in us. God's Spirit works on us, moves us to Jesus, draws us to Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit starts to do something in us. Uh, many people hold this idea at a distance because they don't understand how it works. There is some mystery to it. But can we just be mature enough to acknowledge, again, that just because something is mysterious doesn't mean that it's not true. If we're honest, there's something mysterious, miraculous, and even supernatural about the fact that you're breathing. The fact that you can draw breath is a miracle, and it's a mystery, and you can't explain it. Now, intellectually, we know what's going on, right? Well, I, I, I take in oxygen, and I give out carbon dioxide, and true, that is the scientific answer, right? But you don't know why that works, you, don't, you can't explain how that happens and why that works and why from the moment that, that you're born that that just takes place. That, that's just, there's mystery to that. In the same way that I can't explain to you how my remote control for my TV works. But every time I sit down at the Holy Command console, I use it. And as mysterious as this is for us to think, God can be in me and working in me. This would have been mind-blowing, uh, groundbreaking, earth-shattering kind of information for people in the first century. This concept would have been brand new for those who are hearing it. God works in you? God works in you? How can that be possible? The gods live in temples. Uh, e even the Hebrew God, Yahweh, lives in a temple in Jerusalem. And we know that when we're to go and worship the Hebrew God, Yahweh, we go to Jerusalem, we go to the temple, we offer sacrifices to him there because that's where he lives. That's his address. And Jesus would say, no, that's how it used to be. And you needed that because that's how the cultures of the world operated. And so God was accommodating you and entered into that system because he needed you to know that he was for you. But then God sent Jesus into the world. And we celebrate this every Christmas, that his name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so Jesus would say, I've come into the world. You need to know God isn't just for you, but God is with you. And now Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave this world, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm not just going to be with you. I'm going to be in you. God's Spirit is going to be working in you. The Apostle Paul would later write these words to help us understand this. He says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes from God and dwells inside of you? 
Again, this is mind-blowing information. Paul says, I know the concept of where God lives is a temple, so let me break it down for you. Your body is now the temple. God is still going to live in a temple, but now your body is the temple. God's Holy Spirit is going to live in you each and every moment. And when the Holy Spirit is in you, you can think of the Holy Spirit like a light. Look at that. It's powerful. But here's the deal. What happens when you shine a light in a dark room? Well, when you shine a light in a dark room, it expels the darkness and it illuminates things. It shines a light on things. It's, it reveals what's been hidden in the darkness and it expels the darkness. And when you think about a light, that's how the Holy Spirit works in us. The Holy Spirit lights up parts of our hearts that need to be exposed, lights up parts of us that, that have been hidden, that need to be exposed, that need correction and instruction and parts of our character that need to transform. And he expels the darkness. And those things hiding in our hearts and lights the way so that we can respond to God's way for us to live. God's Holy Spirit is constantly shining a light on the path that we are to take, shining a light on what, we to, to, what we're to do next, shining a light on, hey, here's how I want you to respond. Here's, what, here's where I want you to obey. Here's where I want you to change. Here's where I want you to adjust. Here's the path I want you to be on. And, and then we take a step there and then God lights up a little more. And then we step into the light and God lights up a little bit more. And when you think about God's Holy Spirit, it operates very much like a light in our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul would, uh, writing again to people in the first century and in a church in Galatia, in this region, he would write these words, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul would say it's like every time God illuminates an area of your life that you need to change or a path that you need to get on and you step towards that, then God lights up something else and then it lights up something else. And these things start to develop as a part of that. This is, this is what is produced by the Holy Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And the truth is the Holy Spirit is working on us like a magnet, drawing us to Jesus and then the Holy Spirit works in us. Like a light, exposing what's in the dark, leading us toward what is God's best for our lives. And when we respond and we allow God to do that, uh, that's why every week we, we say these uh, prayers and, and oftentimes we end a service on a Sunday with a prayer of God. Give us the wisdom to know what to do and then give us the courage to do it. Why do we say that? It's because we don't want to just give you information. If all we're doing is giving you some information so you could come in on a Sunday and check the box and be like, I got that done. Great. Let's get on with the week. Then we should just stop what we're doing. Because if you can't use it on Monday, we shouldn't say it on Sunday. The goal is to give you information that you can actually apply to your life so that you go, okay, God, now shine a light on where you want me to apply this in my life. So give me the wisdom to know what to do. And then God, give me the courage to do it. Shine a light where you want me to respond and then help me to take that step towards that light. And then God illuminates the next step and he illuminates the next step and the lights get brighter as we follow him step by step by step. So God's spirit works on us. He draws us to himself. God's spirit works in us. He, he helps expose things and, and helps guide us on how to live. And number three, God's spirit works through us. God's spirit actually starts to work through us. Now, maybe you've heard uh, this term to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you've heard that before, maybe not. But that basically means I'm under the influence of God's Spirit in my life. And that's probably a term we understand a little bit better, under the influence. Some of you probably have some under the influence stories. 
I have a buddy who, uh, <laughs> before him and his wife, uh, uh, where he was dating a girl, and um, he went home to visit uh, her parents. And her younger sister was getting married uh, that year. And, um, and so they went home and they were hanging out back to his uh, girlfriend's parents' house. And they were hanging out and they went out with some friends and they had way too much to drink. And so they came home, they went to bed. He was sleeping on the couch. And in the middle of the night, he got up to use the bathroom. And so he just, you know, got up and he's relieving himself, taking care of business. And suddenly he hears a scream and he's kind of like jarred awake and, and he realizes he's not in the bathroom at all. He's in his girlfriend's sister's closet peeing into a box. And so he's just like one of those awkward moments, you know, that you can't really come back from. And uh, to top it off, what, he, what was in the box was his girlfriend's younger sister's wedding invitations. Yeah. That's rough. Then, hold on. Then they got married. Him and his girlfriend got married. So now that is his sister-in-law and mother-in-law and father-in-law. And he has to, you know, relive that every holiday, basically, right? (laughs) Now think about that. That is an under-the-influence story. What happened is you get under the influence and you do things that maybe don't come naturally. The way that you allow yourself to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit or to be filled with the Spirit is to yield to or obey the Holy Spirit. You, you say, okay, God, I'm going to do things your way, not necessarily my way. You feel his guidance. It might be something you read in the scriptures. It might be the wise counsel of a friend that you trust. It might be something you hear during a talk on a Sunday. Now, it might be uh, something where you sense God speaking to you. And you, you can't shake it. And you're not really sure why. And it lines up with the scriptures. It, it just every time that you say yes to when you feel God's spirit shining a light in a certain direction, You're allowing yourself to be under the influence of God's Spirit. And when that happens, God's Spirit works through you to make a difference in somebody else's life. God's Spirit works through you to make an impact in the life of someone else. And Jesus talked about life in the Spirit in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. And he says this, The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And Jesus is talking about this. And last week we, we talked about this a little bit. And uh, uh, there were a couple of questions that came up. Somebody asked, well, is being, uh, Jesus said, first you're born of water and then you're born of the Spirit. Does that mean born of water means baptism? Because we did baptism last week. Uh, no. So born of water simply is a, is a sort of way of saying being born physically. Because you're, you know, the water breaks and then you're born, right? So you're born of water. And then born of the Spirit means when I say yes to Jesus in his way. And I'm, I become a part of God's family. It's like I'm born a second time. Or Jesus would say born again. Born the first time physically. The second time born spiritually. And in the same way that you take a first breath when you're born of water or born physically. And you start to breathe. In the same way, when you're born spiritually, the word for spirit is breath or wind. Billy Graham once said this about the wind. He said, you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. There's a mystery to it. Think of the Holy Spirit working through you like wind. Wind is something we can see. We, we can't see, but we can feel it. We can see the effects of it, right? Wind is invisible, but the effects of wind are perceivable. Uh, at our house, we have nine willow trees. I don't know if you know anything about willows. I didn't. What I've learned 
is that if there's a slight breeze, one million branches fall out of those trees. That's what I've learned about the wind. I've never seen the wind, but I've seen the effects of the wind. Some of you are like, he's got, he must get hot up there. I got more props than Carrot Top today. <laughs> Think about it like this. You can't see the wind. This, pretty still. But when you put it in front of this, something happens. And you can see it. You can see this happening, but you can't actually see the wind. You can't see the breeze. You can't see the current of air. But all you can see is the effect of it. And much like that, the same thing is true with God's Spirit. What happens is, God's Spirit works through us. But oftentimes, the way that we see it is on the effects that it has on other people. When we say yes to God and yes to His ways, we see it taking place in the lives of other people. And you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives, but you don't necessarily go, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. And we see that as we serve others, as we sacrifice for others. That's not natural activity, but as humans, we say, okay, I'm gonna, uh, I want to put my life under the influence, God, of your spirit and do something that maybe doesn't come naturally to me. And as we allow God's spirit to work on us and work in us, eventually God starts to work through us and it makes an impact in other people's lives. And so how do we partner with God's spirit? Well, how do we do that on a regular basis? First of all, uh, raise your awareness. Raise your awareness. Become more and more aware. Richard Rohr is a monk who writes a lot about the Holy Spirit, and he says this, we cannot attain the presence of God because we are already in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. Uh, my friend Mike Meeks, who is a pastor of a church and has spoken here a few times in the past, and he, he, last time he spoke here, he prayed this prayer at the end of service. He said, God, I would ask you to, uh, I'd ask you to just be with us this week, but uh, that's stupid because you're already with us. It's a very Mike Meeks thing to say. You say, instead, I pray that you would make us aware of how closely you're with us. And see, that is the truth. Make us aware that God is already moving on us and moving in us and moving through us. And as we become more aware, we will see God's activity taking place all around us. In fact, scientists call this frequency illusion. It's a cognitive bias that describes this uh, sort of psychological fact. After learning some bit of new information, we start, we start seeing it everywhere. Here's, what, here's how that plays out. Uh, let's say you bought a new car and you felt that the car that you bought was very, very unique. And after buying your unique car, you start seeing it everywhere. You're like, oh my gosh, look at how many people drive a purple Kia Soul. I can't believe, I had no idea. What I can tell you is that the sale of purple Kias has not increased. Rest assured. Here's what has happened you've simply become much more aware of it. Now you have eyes to see it. And the Holy Spirit is much the same way. The more that we respond to the Holy Spirit, the more that we come under His influence, the more that we allow Him to work in us and work through us, the more we become aware. Of like, man, this is, God is actually at work here and there and there. We start to see it. We see His activity all around us. Paul would say this, writing to people in Galatia, he says, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Since, that, since that's how we live, let's open our eyes to it. Let's be aware of it. Determine to increase your awareness. Ask God to open your eyes to his activity in your world. And then secondly, after you raise your awareness, accept your assignment. All of us have an assignment from God. God doesn't just give his spirit just so that we can feel good. 
He wants, us to, he wants to work through us to make a difference in the lives of other people and the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. He's given us spiritual gifts to equip us to help with that mission. That is what God is up to in the world. He's drawing people to himself and oftentimes he will do that through you, through the way that you serve and through the way that you love. But God doesn't hire any of us to work in his garage and then not give us the tools to accomplish what he's called us to do. Every single, one of, every single one of us are born with natural talents and abilities and as we follow Jesus, spiritual gifts that God's Spirit gives us. For example, some of you are naturally musical. You have amazing pitch, perfect, perfect musical pitch or hearing. Uh, I'll, I'm going to embarrass my son today. He was playing keyboards up here this morning. I heard that music for about six hours yesterday. <laughs> but he just has a gift from God and he's developing it, but it's just a gift. He plays better piano with his pinky than I will ever play with any of my hands in my whole life. And it's a gift. Some of you uh, have just this unbelievable mechanical gift. It's just a natural ability to like understand how different things work together, the gears and, uh, you know, and mechanical stuff. I don't have that. You've been taking things apart since you were a kid, occasionally even putting them back together. Some of you are naturally artistic. You just have this incredible talent and you can draw or you can edit videos or you can, uh, you know, you do photography and you just have an eye for talent. And this is a gift that God's given you to use to make an impact in the world. Some of us are just naturally born athletes. We know who we are. <laughs> that hurts a little. Here, here's what the Apostle Paul writes to people in Corinth. He says this, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts but it is the same spirit. The same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So God works through us by empowering us to do things in his kingdom. God works through us by giving us the ability to make a contribution. And every single one of us has a gift that we can use to make a contribution. God is calling you to be a player, not a spectator. God is calling you to get off the bench and to get into the game, to make a difference, to allow God's Holy Spirit to work through you to make an impact in somebody else. The mission of the church is people helping people find and follow Jesus. And you'll notice that God gives us gifts to use for the common good so that we can help each other, so that God can accomplish his work in the world, which is people helping other people find Jesus and follow Jesus. Now, now I can tell you that you will never discover where God's gifted you to serve by just sitting around on your butt. It doesn't happen. See, no matter how hard you pray, the only way to experience God's Holy Spirit working through you is to get out there and start doing something. Try it. Jump onto a serving team here at Westbridge. We've got five Easter services. We want to make sure that everybody gets served. All of the kids across five services, students across five services, uh, music, tech, coffee, greeting, all that stuff. And, and I know the fear that comes with jumping in and saying, I'm going to serve somewhere. It's, man, what if I screw something up? Now, let me calm that fear, okay? You will. <laughs> Duh. But that's the beauty. God works through imperfect people. That's the beauty of it. And then you'll just adjust. And I can tell you, if you don't do anything, if you don't ever get in the game, you're just like you keep waiting, it's like, it's like going like this. All right, God's working over here. And he's like, hey, I want you to serve. And you're just like, yeah, but I got something going on over here. God, can't you just move your fan over here behind what I got going on? And God's going, no, this is, this is what I'm up to. My spirit is working. Your, your responsibility is to put yourself in a position to 
be a part of what God's already doing. Not to say, God, I'm over here. Come bless what I got going on. It's to put yourself in a position to say, okay, God, I see that your spirit is doing something. You're drawing people to yourself. I want to be a part of it. I want to jump in. And so the spirit of God is moving and working. The question is, are you positioning your life to receive the power that comes from his spirit to allow him to work through you to make a difference in somebody else's life? In fact, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're like, I'm kind of nervous to jump into a serving team. You guys did the say yes thing a couple weeks ago. I did say yes, and then I backed out. I'm still kind of on the fence. Let me give you a really easy way to do this, okay? At Easter, you don't even have to commit to joining a team. Just serve one time on Easter weekend. And you can do that. Just, just grab your connection card and write Easter weekend on your connection card and drop it in one of the giving stations. And we'll get in touch with you and say, hey, we'd love for you to find one spot to serve. You're not committing to a team. You're not signing up to anything. You are just trying it out that weekend. That's how you can do it. And you're like, but how do I know if I'm qualified? Okay, here's what you do. You go like this. Do you feel anything? Okay, you're qualified. We'll find a spot for you, all right? I love this email I read recently. Uh, I Googled discover your spiritual gifts this morning and got 333,000 results. Thank you, Google. I lost count of the number of tests that are available. I've taken them before. They're interesting and fun, but it occurred to me the single best thing I ever did to help me determine my gifts was just to serve. Just my jumping in and trying out different volunteer opportunities. It didn't take long for me to figure out where I belonged. For me, using my gifts to serve at church made my value to the Lord tangible and changed completely the manner in which I find fulfillment in my life. I want to encourage you to just jump in somewhere. God's spirit is moving. He's drawing people to himself. He's working in us. He's working through us. And one of the best ways is just go, you know what? I want to be a part of that. God, you're doing something and I want to jump in. I want to serve somewhere. God is working on you, drawing you to Jesus. God's working in you, illuminating parts of your life that need to change and and illuminating the path that you should take. And then God, God wants to work through you like a wind as you step into where he's moving. Since we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And God sent Jesus into our world because God is for us. He sent Jesus into the world to be with us. And then Jesus invites us to be a part of his family. And here's the good news. This is what's amazing. If you've never said yes to this, you don't have to behave your way into this. You don't have to earn your way into this. You don't even church attend your way into this. This is just an an invitation from the God who created you and loves you. And Jesus came into the world and in the ultimate expression of love, he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. So many people saw him after he rose from the dead. They wrote about it. They shared it. And we still read those stories today. And that means death is not the end. There's more to this life than this life. And you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. If you have never said yes to that, I want to invite you to do that. Wherever you are, you can just say yes as we close in prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I have walked away from you. I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes to your simple invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to put my trust in you and to follow your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. One step at a time. As you light up the path, help me to put one foot in front of the other and to continue to walk down that path that you light up. And God, for every one of us, we just pray this simple prayer. Make us aware. Open our eyes, open our ears. May we see and hear the activity of your Holy Spirit all around us. And then may we position ourselves to continue to be empowered, 
to make a difference in the lives of others. As we reflect on this today, give us the wisdom to know where to apply this. Give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.